Welcome to the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. In this week's lesson from the Book of Romans, Bill Harmon, who serves as the president of the Southeast District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, continues our study of the biblical teaching of sanctification by focusing on our freedom from the law. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7 and join us as we continue to see how God's righteousness for the unrighteous is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's good to be back with you again today. Um, Hunter, thank you for the invitation. As uh, Hunter shared, I have a new post. I was elected to this new position in May, installed in August, and uh, I'm figuring it out <laughs> as we go along. I served previously as the pastor at King of Glory Lutheran Church just down, just down the road here. Uh, for 14 years, and uh, I do miss that, I will say. It, uh, parish life is different than this new role, which uh, encompasses the region is uh, York, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, Washington, D.C., Virginia, North and South Carolina. So, uh, yeah, a lot of miles on the car. <laughs> a lot of miles on the car. Uh, it's good to see some former members of King of Glory here. Uh, some of my neighbors that I see in my neighborhood who don't even know me, but I walk past you with my black dog and uh, wave to you. Uh, good to see you as well. So uh, thanks for the invitation. And good for you for having a Lutheran come while you're studying Romans. Because <laughs> we love Romans. Don't invite me when you study James. We don't like James. <laughs> Luther really didn't like James if you read him on that, but Romans he really loved because the hallmark of the Protestant faith, right? By the way, you're welcome, <laughs> is that we are saved by grace through faith, not by our own works so that we might boast, right? Uh, so now today we throw in a little wrench in the system, if you will, because we are saved by grace through faith. So then what happens to the law? Is the law void? Well, we know from other passages of Scripture the answer is no. But we're going to get a little tempted to believe that today from Paul, yet we will we'll play that out a little bit. By the way, I, I was thinking on the way over here, a miracle happens every Friday when you gather, that somehow you get clergy to only speak for 30 minutes on a Bible subject. <laughs> I mean, that is a miracle itself. So, um, Hunter, you'll have to give me like a five-minute warning, okay? Yeah. Thank you, Billy. Thank you. So our passage today is from Romans 7. It's 1 to 6. If you've got your Bibles, your Bible apps, let's just read over it real quick just to have a quick overview of it. Romans 7, 1 to 6. Uh, I'm using the English Standard Version, but there's other versions that are uh, out there as well. Or do you not know, brothers? By the way, another translation would say, or are you ignorant? <laughs> For I am speaking to those of, who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, 
to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that, we, so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Wow, classic Paul. In six verses, he gives you a doctoral thesis, you know. Uh, so uh, an overview for you, what we'll see today is, one, the general idea that Paul's getting for us in, in these six verses is in verse 1. Uh, that death severs one bondage to the law. Uh, that, by the way, that, that is a foundational principle of Christendom. That, that death severs us from the law, and that is through death that life is ours. And by the way, if you, you know, we build that up from a, a, a beautiful Old Testament journey. Uh, a sacrificial journey through the Old Testament where we see that, that, that God is only appeased because of our sinful nature, because of our wrongdoings, through sacrifice. Thus, this becomes very important uh, when we talk about Christ. Then, uh, the key verse is verse 4. That, that we, therefore then, we die with Christ in order to have new life. So grace still abounds here, for the record, because, because the way to salvation is not through your death, kind of. <laughs> it's through Christ's death through which you are connected to, and then life is yours. And then the result, well, now we're released from the power of the law to live for Christ. So in the death, we gain life, and then in life, we have an opportunity to live it abundantly. So, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, uh, in verse 1, we hear this, Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Again, I like the other translation, or are you ignorant? Because what Paul's trying to remind the reader today is that he's talking to some people who know some things. So the, you already heard this probably. The Roman audience are, are Roman converts and Roman Jews who are now Christians. Very familiar with the concept of the law, right? For us today, I, I want to take a moment to think about uh, the consequences of sin. Uh, for those of you who may have grown up in um, a, a more denominational setting like Catholicism or Episcopalian or Anglican or, or Lutheran, uh, you may have gone through catechism classes. Uh, we do it at the worst possible time, right, in seventh and eighth grade. Um, we probably should do it at 25 and 26 or something like that, but... Um, one of the foundational pieces that we speak about is law and gospel. And the consequences of the law, there are two consequences. Anyone have an idea of what those are? Death. 
One is death. Because we sin, we die. Because we sin, we die. Anyone know the other? Misery. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to give you that. <laughs> Separation from God, which is miserable, <laughs> by the way. And by the way, because you sin, because we are sinful, because our nature is sin, we are not entitled to a relationship with God. Very difficult for us American Christians who feel very entitled to lots of things. But because we sin, we have nothing now in relation to God. In fact, we are totally separated from him. That's why on Good Friday, when you go to church, the powerful words from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, are so real. Because in that moment, Christ is taking on separation from all that is his to pay the price of your sin. And then, of course, he dies doing the same. So we, we need to view this passage today under the idea that the law convicts us that because of our sinfulness, we die, we're separated from God. And yet, through Christ, we live under a new law. We're not under this same burden because we view things now through the lens of the cross. It is death that frees us from the law. So think about this. When you were, if you were a Jew hearing this, you, you know this. When I die, I'm now no longer bound by the Torah or the commandments. And if I'm a Gentile, I'm no longer bound by the, by the Roman law. So all this information for you to, to help you understand where they are, but where we are too, right? They're hearing this and saying, oh, I don't have to follow the commandments or Rome anymore. We hear it and say, oh, <laughs> the, the, the consequences of our sin have been relieved, and therefore we look at the law in a new way. Keep going. Then he gives this analogy, right? Uh, we're not going to get into divorce today, <laughs> you know, and any of that. This is, we're going to chart this up to an analogy. But I'll take a soapbox moment, right? Christians, 2022 Christians, love to point out people's sins, right? We, we love to say, you know, even preachers do it. I've been guilty of doing it too. I talk about those people out there, right? Those sinners out there rather than the the sinners in here, I mean, this half, you're not, you're not sinners. You're just <laughs> these sinners over here, right? You're welcome, uh, right? We, we kind of get into that pattern, um, and, and I find it interesting. By the way, we have to deal with sin. I'm not excusing sin, but we are, we are let's, let's just have a confession absolution for a moment on my soapbox. We are very selective in our offense of sin. And I like to point out that never is that more apparent than when we talk about divorce and the Bible. Because divorce is said many, many times in Scripture, meh, compared to other things that we find more offensive. So that's, that's a little law for you today. How do you like that? All right? And that's a side note. Maybe we'll come back and we'll deal with 
cultural sins. Don't invite me back for that one, all right? So Paul gives this great analogy, though, that they're really going to understand, which is, hey, a married woman is bound by the law to her husband uh, while he lives. The husband dies. She's released from the law. And by the way, once she's released from the law, she's free to marry again. You see the analogy? So we, too, are bound by the law, but through death we are released from the law, and therefore we are we are able to marry again. And who do we marry? We, Christ. We bind ourselves uh, to Christ. And why do we do that? A little advent for you. From uh, Isaiah 53. Surely he has bor- borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him as stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he, has, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed For our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to its own way. And And the Lord has said to him, the iniquity of us all. Is laid on him, the iniquity of us all. So so here is a, a prophecy from Isaiah of the advent of who Christ would be, the Christ child would ultimately be. And we see all the way back from Isaiah that there is one who who has been foretold who will free us from our sinful condition. How? Through death. Through death. So, So I think it's important, especially in Advent, as we anticipate and prepare for the coming of Christ, both a while ago and ahead of time, that we recognize that this nature of death and life has been around. It was foretold. And our freedom, therefore, is made clear in the one who is to come. All right, verse three, we did four. This is the key verse. I, I, I was about to, and then I saw the thing. Thank you. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Wow. This could be, this could be the 30 minutes alone, right? So uh, go back to Romans 6, which you heard, right? So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So you've already heard this concept from Paul a chapter ago. He's just doubling it down for you here. Now, there is a place for the law. And so before I give you the delicious gospel, I want to remind you that Paul is not discounting the law here. But rather, he's clarifying for us the uses of the law versus the uses of the gospel, right? Now we're getting into a lot of technical Christianity. So go, go back to my catechism students. Who remembers the three uses of the law? Which, by the way, we still embrace today. I'll just give it to you because of time. Curb, mirror, guide. 
So where the law is still relevant today, right? So you can't hear this passage and say, you can't leave here today and say, well, thank God Bill Harmon came today because now I'm no longer bound by the law of God. No. Let me look at them. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> what I'm saying is Paul is clarifying for you what the use of the law is now in a redeemed child of God's life. So the law is still relevant. The law is a curb, right? You go out on the road, the curb shows you the way that you're supposed to go, right? So love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? Uh, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, right? Those are good curbs for you to live. Uh, it's a mirror. <laughs> uh, you look in the mirror in the morning, and some mornings you're like, hmm, not so bad, right? <laughs> Looking pretty good today. <laughs> and other mornings you're like, wow. I've been noticing, I have these hereditary bags under my eyes. My mother had them. My grandfather had them. And as I age, I feel like they're like, rah, they're just taking over my whole face, right? That's what the, that's what the, thank you for hearing me. That's the whole point of the mirror, right? It reveals something to you. And by the way, we as Christians need a daily dose of the mirrored law. Because we, we tend to puff ourselves up in the, in the gospel, which is great, but we, we need to be reminded that that gospel is ours through sacrifice. That we receive that gospel in an, because we are undeserving. We are never good enough. And the mirror reflects that. Who you really are is a poor, miserable sinner who deserves death and separation from God. That's what the law reminds you. By the way, it's a good perspective to have because it makes the gospel even richer, even more delicious <laughs> in our lives. And, of course, it's a guide for how you're to live, right? If you, if, when you say to someone, you know, what's, what's a good way to live life? You know what? I've got 10 good reasons, good ways for you to live. Honor your mother and father. Right? Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Those kinds of things. Those are very good. However, if we cling to the law alone, it results in sin. Because it keeps us from the life that we are to have in Christ. Hear that again. If all we're going to be as modern day Christians are declarers of the law, all we will ultimately do is lead people to sin because it will deprive us from the life-giving, transformational power of Jesus Christ in our hearts and minds and souls. It's a balance. In fact, I like to say, uh, you know, good Lutheran theology and seminary is law gospel, right? You want, a good, you want to hear a good Lutheran sermon, you're going to hear the law first, then the gospel. That's why I've never been accused of preaching a good Lutheran sermon, just so you know. <laughs> because I believe it's gospel, law, gospel. And the, point, the place I always point to is the woman at the well. She gets a good dose of law. Where are your five husbands? Ooh, awkward, right? Uh, but the gospel is first that Christ comes to her. Gospel. We live it. We, it's incarnational theology. 
God did not wait for you to figure your sinful life out to come to him for redemption. He came to you away in a manger, right? This is what this is about. God's coming to you to fulfill the path, to pay the price, so that when you come to him, you may have life in his name. So what we learn from Paul today is that there are really two natures of the law. There's the, um, there's the condoning power of the law, and there's the rule of life. So there you go. Law leads us in, two natures of the law, right? So uh, there's the rule of life, which we continue to cling to, but the, condoning the condemning power, sorry, is, is fulfilled through Christ. We now live through the lens of the cross, and I think this is foundational. Right? We, we can't help but read the Old Testament through the lens of a cross and an empty tomb. And therefore, when we experience the law, it's the same. As one who's redeemed, as one who now lives for Christ and in his name, the law has a different experience because I have been born again through the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, we still rejoice that the law is relevant. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to them, oh, don't worry about the law. I've taken care of it. You can now do whatever you want to do because I'm your Savior and Lord. Oh, wouldn't that have been great? <laughs> no, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And by the way, if you break that down, it's commandments one through three and then four and the rest. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. One, two, three. And love your neighbors yourself. Well, how do you do that? Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, maybe ten. Depending on your tradition. <laughs> it's ten. It's ten. Just how ten works out is a, is, a, is a question, right? So again, I hope, that you're, I hope you're wrestling with me through this, right? Uh, you are free from the law, but you are bound by the law. But your freedom from the law is that it is no longer the law that condemns you to the depths of hell. It is no longer the law that weighs upon you so that you cannot be set free. That's been done for you through Christ. Now that you've been born again, freed through Christ and his gracious love, you now live under this new law through the lens of the cross and the empty tomb. And by the way, he goes on to say, at the very end of verse 4, look at it for me. So now that you have this freedom, what are you to do? Bear fruit. I think I may have shared this with you before when I was here. Uh, the fastest growing Lutheran church in all the world, anyone know where it is? Ethiopia. Nine million Lutheran Christians in Ethiopia. They are sending 
missionaries to the United States. The United States is the third largest mission field in the world. I had an opportunity to meet a pastor in Cary, North Carolina, in my new role. And I said to him, you guys are doing something right in Ethiopia. <laughs> so what can we learn from you to do that here? And he said the most fascinating thing. He said, in Ethiopia, when you have a life in Christ, it is the totality of your life. It seems to me, he said, in the United States, that a life in Christ is just one aspect of many other aspects of who someone is. Wow. Paul is, in essence, saying the same thing here. You have been freed from the law through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to live in a new, a new way to his glory and praise. That should be every aspect of our lives. And, and that is evident in the fruit that we bear. And by the way, we can go to Galatians, right? That we can look at fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. That's how that comes. That's one way that that shows forth for us. How much time do I have? Oh, all right, guys. Five minutes. In clergy time, five minutes is three hours. So we can do it, all right? Um, so for us today, then, let's, let's try to wrap this up with five and six. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Interesting, right? So he says, hey, listen, you're free from the law. You're saved by grace through faith. Christ is your Savior. Bear fruit because before you were bearing fruit for death, meaning all the things you were doing were just leading you away from God. But now, verse 6, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve a new way of the Spirit and not hold, held to the written code. Our righteousness versus rebellion against God. This is what we're seeing. This is what Paul's talking about here as far as sinful flesh. So in other places, sinful flesh is all the other things that we know sinful flesh is. Here, I think it's a better way to look at this uh, let's go back. I'll read it differently. For while we were living in our own righteousness, for while we were living as rebels against God, because ultimately that's what that was leading us to, when we are doing those things, that leads us to death. By the way, Christians have to be careful with this. We we can have a tendency to cling a little too heavily on the law without balance. Please, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that Christians should condone every behavior, and we certainly can't be drunk in grace alone. It's that balance of realizing, now that I live a new life in Christ, I live in the freedom of the gospel, while tethered to the new law of God first neighbor. See those parameters now? And by the way, in the Old Testament, what was the law doing? 
The law was leading me to relationship with God. It was necessary. Christ comes, Christ dies, Christ is risen. We now live in the freedom of the gospel. And therefore now the nature of the law lives is a fruit of who we are. I visit the guy in jail, not because it wins favor for, with me with God, but because it's a part of who I am as a redeemed child of God. I give to the poor, not because somehow it'll make me look good in my religious community, but because now it's a nature of the fruit of who I am. You with me? I honor God on the Sabbath, not because uh, if I don't, God will strike me with lightning, wouldn't that be entertaining? You know, <laughs> oh, he didn't go to church today. Look at his hair, right? You know, uh, but I go, I now commit myself to an active living faith of worship and Bible study because it's a fruit that I bear as a child of God. That's now our role. That's now the way that we roll, if you will. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it and its ends, eternal life. For the wage of sin is death. Good job over there. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here, again, forgive me, it's a foundational element of, of Christian Lutheranism, but I'd say of the Protestant faith as well, right? Which is... Our sanctification, our justification comes through Christ alone. How are we justified with, through God? Our sanctification, our life with God, is a result of that. Maybe said another way, we are a resurrection people. And therefore, that, is a, that comes out in our words, that comes out in our thoughts, that comes out in our actions. We are a resurrection people who now live in the grace of of God. Martin Luther would say uh, that in the, every morning you should wake up and make the sign of the cross. I know that we, we, in our Christian battles, we say, well, that's very Catholic. Let's put that aside for a moment. He would say, make the sign of the cross as a reminder of who you, whose you are that day. As a reminder of the baptism that you have where you died to sin in the waters of baptism and were reborn to new life. Now, we can have a nice debate over a steak dinner someday of how we should baptize, right? There we may have some interesting conversation. Maybe I'll be a fool one time and we can talk about that. But, uh, but for today, we can all agree that in the waters of baptism, we drown out the sinful nature and we come up reborn children of God. That's what Luther is saying. I am a child of God today. I am born again through the waters of baptism. I am a resurrection son and I'm going to live according to his ways and his purposes today. So for your discussion, uh, how might you daily remember your new life with Christ? your baptismal promise, right? We get such in the routine. I got to get going. I got things to do. I got people to see. And perhaps there's a day or a moment that we forget. Wait a minute. I've been born again. <laughs> Wait a minute. Or let me, give, let me give you another end of that coin, another side of that coin. 
maybe you're beating yourself up over and over again because of the miserable sinner that you are. All the while neglecting the path to freedom from that sin in Christ our Lord. If you want to be free, come to the cross. What actions can you take to make this new life not just an aspect of your life, but the full nature of who you are? Being a disciple of Christ. By the way, it's hard. We often fail. And that's, that's the beauty of being in relationship with God. Go, go throughout all of Scripture, and what you'll see is the greatest servants of Scripture were failures. But, but what we learn from me, what I learn from them, is that in their failure, they come to Christ. They come to the Lord. Rather than something else, someone else, somewhere else. And you can do that best by being connected to the community of believers. You can do that best by making the commitment of an active worship life, right? Those are things, prayer life, those kinds of things. So what can you do in that way uh, as well? I think, I think I've uh, done my five minutes um, from there. Let me just close with this with you, with you today. The, the mission of the Southeastern District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, is connecting people to Jesus. And our vision is that lives are transformed and God's kingdom grows. We live in a, a unique time. Uh, denominationalism's on decline. Non-denominationalism's on decline. <laughs> Christian culture is on decline. Uh, division, hatreds on an all-time high. The, the only way for this world to be transformed and changed is by those who know living in that knowledge and witnessing it in their lives. Said another way, the redeemed voicing the joy of the Lord all around us. Thanks for joining us today. For more information on the Williamsburg Friday Men's Breakfast, please visit wcchapel.org slash mensbreakfast. I hope you'll join us again for our next installment in our study of the Book of Romans. Until then, know that you have been set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God bless and have a great week.